Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Can you think of a better coach than Benjamin Sisko? After this episode, I think that might be hard for you to do. I'm gonna show how you can apply his ability to connect with his team, to listen, and to observe. I'm also, I'm also gonna run the risk of really upsetting some people when I talk about my thoughts on education versus experience. So many great topics as we start this 17th episode of the second season of Deep Space Nine, Playing God. Dr. Bashir, the head medical officer on Deep Space Nine, walks off a transport onto the station with someone named Arjun, a Trill initiate. He's here to meet with Jadzia Dax, the science officer, who is a joined Trill herself. For this episode to make much sense, you're going to need to understand some stuff about the Trill. Honestly, my opinion, they're one of the coolest and most unique species in all of Star Trek. There are two types of people. Well, really, really three types of people that make up the Trill. The vast majority are just humanoid people doing humanoid people things. I'm just a simple human girl who likes the human things like bread and complaining all the time. The second are what they call symbionts. Symbionts are little lizard, wormy-looking things that, as their name suggests, symbiont, right? They, they thrive within a host. The third type of person is a joined trill. This is a humanoid with a symbiont inside of them. This is a very small group of trill, and it's a big honor to be one of them. It's an honor to be joined. In fact, as the episode will flesh out, this is something that many aspire and work their entire lives towards. Now, there are a lot of cool things about the Trill. The symbionts live for centuries, so they end up with multiple hosts. Jadzia, for example, is the Dax symbiont's eighth host. When the Trill are joined, they become a combination of the two lives within them. So there's things in common from one host to another, but also there's things that are that are wildly different from person to person. Each joined Trill is a unique 
individual, but they have the, well, I guess kind of some of the experiences and the memories. They hold all the memories of the hosts before them. This is one of the main reasons that there's such a grueling process to be approved to be a joined trill, to be a host. Okay, so Arjun, Arjun is here as an initiate working to be approved. He's in that grueling process and he's going to spend some time with Jadzia to see what it's like to live as a joined trill and she is going to evaluate him for his readiness. The Dax symbiont has a real reputation for being super rough on initiates. In fact, over the last 200 years, Dax has personally eliminated 57 host candidates from the program. So Arjun is really nervous. Bashir takes him to meet Jadzia, who is in Quark's bar playing Tongo with a bunch of Ferengi. It's the ears. Not at all what Arjun was expecting. The next day, Arjun and Dax head into the wormhole. Deep Space Nine, the station, guards a rare, stable wormhole that leads to the Gamma Quadrant of the galaxy. He meets her at her quarters so they can head out together. And she's been working out, or something, with, uh, with some guy, and is just getting out of the shower. She asks him to get some drinks before they leave. And again, she's just not being at all what Arjun kind of expected from a joint trill. Well, they're going to head into the wormhole for some science stuff, and they end up with some kind of goop on the outside of their ship. So they head back to the station to have it analyzed. On their way, they talk. They get to know each other. Arjun is a very by-the-book, doesn't do anything more than try to overachieve in everything he does, especially his studies kind of a guy. On the station, poor, poor Chief O'Brien. He's the, he's the head of operations on DS9. And he is really busy chasing down these rodents called voles. They're lurking in the bowels of the station and wreaking havoc on all the systems. Commander Cisco, Cisco's awesome here. Phases unstunned, Mr. O'Brien. I want those voles taken alive. They transfer the goop into a lab on the station so they can study it. Dax is really struggling with Arjun. She keeps trying to connect with him, but he's just overconfident, almost really arrogant. And he only tries to tell her what he thinks she wants to hear. She's able to learn, though, that the whole reason he wants to be joined is because it was his father's dying wish. So she does exactly what I would do in this situation. She goes to someone that she trusts that isn't afraid to challenge her assumptions. She, she goes to Commander Cisco. They're playing chess and talking through both of the issues, both the goop and Arjun. I have my doubts. She's worried that he doesn't have any goals of his own. He doesn't have anything to offer the symbiont. And he's not really experiencing life in any way. He's too stuck in his academics. Cisco challenges her to step up and show Arjun the truth. But he does it by asking, So, what are you going to do? And this helps her see that she needs to be upfront with him. She needs to be honest. In fact, <laughs> in fact, she needs to have a difficult conversation with him. She needs to listen to the episode on Voyager Rise that we did here on the Starfleet Leadership Academy a little while ago to find out the best way to approach a difficult conversation. Well, one of the voles, the ones O'Brien was after, gets to the containment field that was holding the goop and messes with it. The goop flies inside the walls and suddenly a super bright light comes shining out of them. 
Now, Cisco, Cisco was really upset. And take those faces off stun, Chief. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Jadzia and Arjun start trying to figure out how to get the goop out of the bulkheads and to figure out just, just what it is. While they're working, she does. She confronts him, just like Cisco kind of helped her to understand. But it does not, does not go well at all. Standards for Trill hosts? That is really incredible coming from you, ma'am. And he storms off. After all the studies, Jadzia drops a bomb about the goop. What we have here, Benjamin, is a proto-universe in its earliest stages of formation. The stakes here are huge. It's expanding, as universes do, and over time, it's going to displace and destroy this universe. It's going to kill, potentially, every being in the galaxy. Taking it out of the wormhole put everything at risk, but there's no way they could have known that. O'Brien, O'Brien's going to try to construct a force field to contain this thing while they decide what to do. And then, then the stakes get even higher. I found indications of life in the proto-universe. The senior team debates what all of this means. This episode's going to be awesome. They're diving into some big stuff here. You see, some think that it might just be like single-cell organisms that, you know, Bashir could kill with a hypospray. But others believe there's a real chance that this is intelligent life. But there's no way to know. Their choices here, they can either let it expand, potentially destroying their entire galaxy and universe, or they can contain it and allow it to implode on itself. I'm sorry, but it's us or them. We have to destroy it. They're stuck in a real trolley dilemma here. Cisco tells him to stand by and await his decision. Jadzia takes the time to meet with Arjun at Quark's bar. He's drowning his supposed defeat in a big old glass of blue synthahol, which is honestly just, just dumb. I mean, synthahol, if you don't know, it's all the parts of alcohol, right? Like all the flavor and the feeling and the stuff, except, except the getting buzzed or drunk part. So basically, he's drowning his sorrows in blue Kool-Aid that tastes super gross. Well, teach their own, I guess. Well, Jadzia tells Arjun that he needs to discover what Arjun wants out of life, out of joining. As they're talking, Cisco checks in with him. He's come to a decision. He asks if they can pilot the proto-universe back into the wormhole. This is going to be a real challenge because apparently there are these energy things or these nodes in there that if they, if they interact, if those nodes interact with the proto-universe, they're going to destroy it and they're going to destroy the ship that they're on and possibly the entire sector as well. Arjun honestly isn't up to the task. He keeps doubting himself. He looks for every reason this won't work. It's never been done. But Jadzia, because she's got experience, she sees how it will work. Until now. Super tight. But they work together and they make it happen. They get the galaxy, the universe, the proto-universe back to where it's supposed to be. The episode ends with Jadzia telling Arjun that someday, someday, he might be ready to be joined. In time, I might recommend it for you. What do you get when you have three kind of cool and fun ideas and you cram them all into one episode? Yep, you get Plain God. This episode is its near the end of the second season, and like the next generation before it, DS9 really took a solid two seasons or so to, to kind of find its groove. 
But this is an episode that honestly went a long way in helping to make that happen. We learned a lot about the Trill. And there was even a really pretty cool sci-fi story they tried to tell. Come to Quark's Glasses Fun. Come right now. Don't walk. Run! Has this ever happened to you while you were watching Star Trek? Aaron, honey, pause, pause, pause. Why did Nog just say their first set of ears? I mean, it's weird that he didn't call them lobes. Okay, but first set? Did Ferengi lobes fall off and they grow new ones? Or are they supposed to grow in layers? I don't know. I've never heard anything about it. Ha ha ha. Wait, why do you think their ears would fall off? Is there some kind of animal that really does that? Listen to me, biologist and frequent episode pauser Kelly Voss. And me, lifelong Star Trek fan and engineer Aaron Strom. As we share the conversations we were already having at our house anyway. The Spinal Frontier comes out on your favorite podcatcher every second and fourth Monday. You can follow us at Spinal Frontier on Twitter and Spinal Frontier Pod on Instagram for updates. Okay, honey, you can press play. Are you a leader? A Star Trek fan? Do you love the lessons and strategies taught on the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast? Visit jeffakin.com forward slash store to get shirts, mugs, and other great merchandise to show off where you have learned all the great strategies and lessons that are taught on the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Visit jeffakin.com forward slash store or click on the link in the show notes to support the podcast and look good doing it. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. Like I said earlier, the Trill are a really unique species. Deep Space Nine, the show, used them to explore a lot of issues, some that we're only now just starting to begin to understand as a society. They look at, they use the Trill to look at aging and end of life issues. They look at complex family relationships, and they can express things about gender and gender identity in a super groundbreaking way, especially, especially for the mid-90s. We get a little tiny glimpse of that in this episode. It always takes me longer to get ready as a female. Unfortunately, though, we have to explore this culture through the eyes of Arjun. This character is, he's totally unlikable, and he's not helped at all by the actor's portrayal. Jeffrey Blake is a super prolific actor, and he's been in just about everything. He was even in The Last Starfighter. Reading Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Sur and the Kodan Armada. But in this? Wow. They could have just gotten Pinocchio to play him. I mean, honestly, that's probably the only way they could have gotten a more wooden experience. And I can't I can't fault the director on this one, I don't think. I can't fault him at all. David Livingston directed over 60 episodes of Star Trek. There was some real depth available for this character, but whew, wow, yeah, we got none, none of it. But for that strike against the episode, Armin Shimmerman as Quark was having an absolute blast. A sonic... He only appeared in a few scenes, but he was firing on all cylinders. In this one, he was complaining to O'Brien about the Voles, and O'Brien was showing him his ingenious plan to take him down. Later, he tries to console Arjun and shares, shares a great story. I was fired, broke. It was quite a setback to my ambitions. From an acting standpoint, 
it's cool to watch the difference between Cork and Arjun and how really believing in your role, like believing in the character you're portraying, can make such a huge difference. One other scene I want to bring up. I've said it before on the podcast, but honestly, I don't think I can say it enough. This is a TV show that aired in the mid-90s, and it showed a black man, a single black man, being a loving and amazing parent. It's so great. And we get the perfect, perfect example of that here. So now you're hiding things from me? You mean you would have understood? Of course not. It's Marta, isn't it? This aspect of Cisco's character is one of my favorite things about him. In this scene, he's talking to his emotional base, his son, Jake, to help him figure out what to do about the proto-universe. First, the conversation, it's a lot of fun, right? Jake thinking he got caught in something, and then Cisco reacting, as many parents do. But then he shifts, and he's supportive, he's compassionate, and he's awesome. Jake wants to have this girl over for dinner, but Cisco is not at all in the right mindset for that. And even, even not being in the right mindset, he says no in a really cool way. Can I invite her to dinner tonight? Not tonight, but soon. I think anyone that is parenting teenagers or is about to be parenting a teenager needs to watch this scene. It shows exactly how to deal with the difficulties there. Now, I absolutely loved the proto-universe storyline. I mean, total existential questions here. Kira wanting to destroy the universe to save their lives. And Odo going so far as to say he holds life so sacredly, he won't even step on an ant. This sets up a huge question about when is life worth preserving and protecting? And when isn't it? This would be awesome Star Trek stuff but it gets totally blown off and ignored and set aside for Jadzia to talk to Pinocchio. Once I was a wooden boy. <laughs> while he dives into his fourth post-grad degree. I mean, the proto-universe thing would be an entire season on Discovery. But here, it's like, it's like nine minutes of screen time. What a waste. The Vol storyline was fun, right? Totally appropriate. For Deep Space Nine, but that could be a B or a C story in, in any episode. Having the Trill Initiate and Proto-Universe stories together honestly kind of ruined both of them. It's too bad. Command codes verified. Life is so much easier when you have a coach or a trusted confidant to help you see situations from a different perspective. Cisco's relationship with Jadzia helps make him perfect for this, but this is something you can both offer and receive as well. And this is important. It's so important when, as a leader, right? As a leader, people are relying on you to make huge decisions. In the last Starfleet Leadership Academy episode, Picard accused the synths of living but not being alive. Jadzia accuses Arjun of the same in this episode. And I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this situation to talk about the difference between education and experience. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. Let's start with the one that I am 100% sure is going to really upset at least a few people. So if I'm hiring someone into a leadership position and I have the choice 
between someone with a lot of education, you know, all those letters after their name, and someone with a lot of experience, I'm going to take the experienced person just about 100% of the time. Now, as I dive into this, please do not hear me saying that education is worthless. It's just not true. And depending on your field, education might be super necessary, right? If you're a rocket scientist, a doctor, lawyer, or biologist, for example, heck yes, you go, you get those letters after your name. But if you're aspiring to lead people, to be a manager uh, or, or an executive in an organization, the way to get there and to be any good at it is to do it. Go, go get the experience, put the reps in and learn things in real life. Just do it. The traditional path that a lot of people take, especially people that want to be in roles where they're leading people, is to start college right out of high school and basically live there till you get your MBA, your master's in business administration. So for most people, you're looking at six years of school after high school and somewhere in the neighborhood of six figures in debt. That is why this proposal completely eliminates student debt and out-of-pocket expenses. Of course, there are shorter options, right? Later in life paths, other paths you can take, but this, this is the traditional one. So with this, you'll be about 24, 24 years old when you can go out into the world, try to earn money to pay off those loans. Now think about that, just for a second. Most people start school at like four or five years old. So if you go after that MBA, you've spent the most formative 20 years of your life in some form of academia. Now, if you go after a PhD or another master's degree, it's gonna be even longer. Now, I'll bet that we can all agree that academia is a very different place than the place I like to call the real world. And I'm pretty sure we have all had a similar experience with the real world at one time or another, right? This little experience that I like to call getting punched in the face by life. Yeah, things seldom go according to plan, and there are real consequences in the real world. But like I've talked about a lot, we can learn from those consequences. Those mistakes can make us better leaders. In fact, if we're doing this right, those mistakes can make us better people. Now, you you may or may not know this about me, but, but here we go. I'm going to own my bias here. I never went to college. I mean, yeah, I did earn a certificate in diversity, equity, and inclusion in mid-2020, but that's the extent of any post-secondary education for me. In fact, I barely, barely graduated from high school. But Jeff, you say, if you didn't go to college, how do you know the things you know? How are you able to help people be better leaders through your podcast and your blog? <laughs> Simple. I've got a lot of experience. So, okay, let's, let's compare these two. Our traditional path person is 24 years old, right? They've read a bunch of books. They've written papers. Heck, they've even gotten to speak in front of a bunch of people with a lot of letters after their names. You may be in something called an echo chamber. Yeah, super cool stuff. Well, when I was 24, I was the general manager of a retail establishment trying to, I was working to increase revenue, decrease costs to improve my P&Ls. I was finding ways to develop staff. I was interacting with government and regulatory organizations like, like OSHA and dealing, dealing with the really hard parts of working with people. 
Now you can read about these things. You can watch videos. You can listen to people talk about it. You, you can even role play. You can even role play through them. But until you've done it, until you've had real consequences, you don't really know anything. I mean, when I was in this position at 24 years old, my income, my paycheck depended on my P&Ls, depended on my profitability. I can assure you that pressure like that is a whole lot different than the pressure around having to get good grades. Now, the flip side to that, the flip side, if I'd gone to college, like I might have been better prepared to handle some of those things. I might have had like some case studies or management systems that I could have used, but would those tools, would those things have been worth six years of school and years upon years of debt? And now, now that I think of it, would I really have been more prepared? Because as I see it, a lot of education is learning about what has been done, what we already know. If you're studying a science, right, uh, you've got labs, labs where you can go and test theories and stuff out in. But when you're working with people, the only place you can really test things out is in the real world. So yeah, I'd have systems, I'd have case studies, all based on what people had already done. Because I didn't, because I didn't have that though. I not only was able to, but I had to think innovatively. And I didn't even know it. I didn't even know I was thinking innovatively, right? I was trying things out that no school would have taught me because I was in the real world trying to solve real world situations. One quick story, and then I'll stop my little tirade on education. Not too long ago, I worked with a manager who was great. They had a real passion for people and they wanted desperately to be a good leader. They went to school, they earned both their MBA and a master's in HR management. They'd hired someone onto their team and that person wasn't a good fit. So we agreed to, uh, to end their probationary period and, and let him go. Now this manager had nearly a decade of education and had worked as a consultant, I think for like three or four years. So this was the first person they had ever let go. And it was rough. We got through it. But they were visibly shaking, physically shaking for minutes after the person had gone. Now, I don't want to make light of letting someone go. That should never, never be an easy thing to do. But it's part of being a manager. It's part of leading people. All that education did nothing to prepare them for this core job function. And, here, and here's something else. If you want to get into a decent school you're probably applying to them as early as like 16 years old. Now, I don't know about you, but 16-year-old Jeff <laughs> would never have gone to college for something serious or profitable, nothing like business. No way. I would have gone for like music or drama or some other degree that would have me working in an office doing something entirely unrelated to my field of study. How's that working out for you? Because I didn't commit to an educational path at a too young age, and I took time to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, I experienced a lot of what life has to offer. Like, I went on tour a couple times with a band. I got to work in pro wrestling. I studied. I studied as a journeyman baker, and I did wild stuff like skydiving and bungee jumping. Of course, you can do a lot of these things when you're in college too, but not if you're that person obsessed with the letters that are going to come after your name. If you're that person, you're in it. 
you're working in academia to impress people in academia, hoping that that's going to somehow set you up for success in the real world. And that's who Arjun is in this episode. He had no goals outside of being joined, and he only wanted to be joined because his dad wanted him to be. Jadzia asks him what he wants to do with his life. Now, I'm going to play a clip. And when I play this clip in your head, substitute the phrase, you're joined, with the phrase, you've graduated. There's so many possibilities when you're joined. Oh, yeah. So many possibilities when you graduated, right? For what? If you don't know what you want, what's the point? Arjun is so focused on being joined, or in our example, getting his degree, that he doesn't even know what he's going to do with it. Do you know this person? Or, here we go, are you this person? The person so focused on their degree, so focused on their recognition, so focused on an accolade, that they forget their why, they forget their purpose? I know these people. I've worked with a bunch of them. Heck, I've hired a bunch of them, and mostly into positions that they probably weren't thinking they wanted when they decided on their course of study. You have to live life. Experience the world. This is how you get to know yourself, to really know yourself. Without experiencing the world, you're basically just a robot with blinders on. And that's why Jadzia wasn't ready to recommend Arjun to be joined. Another reason for this is that he was so blinded by his short-sighted goal that anything that didn't fit the narrative of him emerging from everything as the highest grade earner and the best choice for becoming a host was immediately and aggressively either ignored or pushed back against. When Jadzia attempts to give him feedback, and honestly, she tries to give that feedback in a really fair and friendly way. He rails against her. Standards for Trill hosts? That is really incredible coming from you. I have never seen any host in my life who is so far below those standards as you are, ma'am. He gets outright personal. Jadzia must be a bad person, right? Because how could she not see how amazing Arjun is? <sighs> but this comes from him not actually listening. She says that she's worried about him. She wants to give him advice. She's been doing this for a really long time. And he responds, That's it. A day and a half and you've made up your mind. The only things he's going to actually hear is what he's expecting, right? Good job, Arjun. Oh, you're so amazing, Arjun. Ah, top of the class once again, Arjun. And anything other than that is automatically attacked. Now, we can fall into this trap really easily, too. When we want something or believe something so much, we are going to refuse to even acknowledge any evidence to the contrary. The thing, the thing about this for us, and even for Arjun, is that those red flags, right, the evidence to the contrary, the, the feedback you're going to get, it's not an attack on you. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. It's super valuable, very helpful information. In fact, if Arjun had goals beyond just being joined, if he wanted more than to just be recognized as the smartest or the best, he would have welcomed the feedback. Her feedback was only offered to help him. She gained nothing from this. And it's the same for you. 
if you desperately want a thing, but the people you trust or the people with more experience are giving you feedback to do things differently or to change your approach, they're not attacking you. They're not attacking your idea. They're helping you. That is not a good idea. Listen. Listen to what they have to say. Now, whether you take the feedback or not, well, that's for you to decide. But you need to at least hear it. And what better resource for this than a coach or a mentor or a trusted colleague? And we see masterful coaching here from Commander Benjamin Sisko. Jadzia, updating him. She's playing it cool, trying to make him think she's got it handled and everything's fine. But he knows things aren't cool. Uh Uh-oh. What? I know that look. And he knows this because he knows his team. He knows Jadzia. Being a coach, yeah, it's it's a job that you can have. But it's also a role that a lot of us find ourselves in. That's people coming to you for advice or looking to you as an example on how to do something. When you're coaching someone, it is so important that you know them. I'll usually spend a little time in each coaching session that I have just kind of shooting the breeze and connecting with the person. I get to know them more, you know, as they talk through whatever we're working on. But the important thing here is that coaches don't just help people solve problems. That's not it. They help them to see things they aren't seeing themselves, and they do this in part by getting to know the person. Cisco is able to bring up a whole line of discussion because he's listening and observing, and he notices Jadzia's response. If he hadn't taken the time to form a connection This would have blown right past him, and they'd be figuring out how to let Arjun down easily. Instead, he sees this, and they end up going down the path of challenging Arjun to do better. One of the great and instructive things in this scene is that Sisko doesn't actually answer any of Jadzia's questions. In fact, he just asks more. A thing I've learned over the years is that most people actually know what they should do, and they usually even know how to do it. They just need help coming at the situation from a, from a different approach or a, or a different, different point of view. A skilled coach will ask questions that steer towards the solution. Have you confronted him? It's not my job to confront him. Isn't it? And by doing this, Jadzia changes her approach and ends up eventually with Arjun on the right path. Having a skilled coach helped her to a better outcome, helped Arjun to a better outcome. But sometimes... You don't have someone you can go to like she did. Sometimes you have to look elsewhere. One of the hardest things a leader ever has to do is make decisions. I've talked about Captain Kirk in TOS episodes before and how one of the things that makes him such an effective leader is that he is so decisive. But sometimes those decisions can be impossible. And that's what Cisco finds himself faced with with the proto-universe. I'll give you my decision and an hour. Wow, one hour, just an hour to decide the fate of two universes. So how do you do that? He doesn't have time to work with a coach. In fact, the people around him are already completely polarized in their opinions on this. The progression that he makes in this episode is so informative. He starts within himself. My mind keeps going back to the board, how I despised their indifference as they try to exterminate us. Would I be any different? He thinks about the impact of the decision and weighs those impacts against his values and his experience. So, 
There's that word again, experience. And after that, he visits his son. Jake represents everything that's important to him. By visiting with him, by reminding himself of what's important to him, by experiencing what's important to him, he's able to make a decision. Now, the episode cheated us out of a lot of things, but specifically here, it cheats us out of the cool moment when he thinks he can help everyone win by putting the proto-universe back where it came from. Like, in the episode, that just kind of came out of nowhere. But I've got to believe that his thought process, focusing on his values, is what led him to look for a positive outcome. A lot like Jadzia telling Arjun that the secret to not blowing up the universe was just to not hit the nodes, Cisco realized the secret to not killing two universes was to just put them both where they belong. Now, I'm pretty sure you're not going to have to determine the outcome of a developing proto-universe, but I am positive that you're going to be faced with real decisions, with real world and real life implications. Because of the implication. When you're faced with these, try to lean on a coach or a mentor, someone that knows you and you can trust, that can help you look at the situation from a different perspective. But if you can't do that, look to you. What do your values tell you? What what is your personal mission statement? Remember the one that you developed when you listened to the episode on TOS's Let That Be Your Last Battlefield? What does your personal mission statement tell you to do? And who or what represents those things to you? Visit that and look to your experience to guide your decision making. Hey, I'm I'm a little bit Sorry for my mini tirade on education earlier. I mean, I'm not sorry because I meant every single word of it, but I am sorry because I know a lot of people are really proud of what they've achieved academically, and that really is a good and cool thing. I don't want to take anything away from you, but the magical place, there is this magical place where education and experience combine, and it just happens to be in this super cool performance review template I developed. It's based off of Saru's experiences in the Discovery episode, Choose Your Pain, And it's yours for free. All you have to do is join the Starfleet Leadership Academy mailing list. Don't worry. I'm super respectful of your inbox. I'm only going to send you emails that add value. You can get the template by clicking the link in the show notes or by visiting starfleetleadership.academy and clicking on mailing list at the bottom of the page. Or you can just ask me for the link. I'm on Twitter at SFLA podcast, and you can follow me on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff T. as in Trill, A-K-I-N. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. It's a Deanna Troy episode, and one that, in the end, shows the value of the characters and the relationships built over seasons and seasons of a series. It's the third episode of the sixth season, Man of the People. I think, I think this is one one part of a mini-arc that I've made up in my head (laughs) that I call Worf Does Tai Chi, but calls it some Klingon thing. I hope I'm right. And we'll find out together next time on the Starfleet Leadership Academy. And until then, ex astra scientia.
or welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the my name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big home. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.